Welcome. All right, all right, all right. Man, you guys love each other. This is good. This is good. Well, again, my name's Doug. I'm one of the pastors here at Hope. And I do want to say, uh, if you're listening on the podcast or if you watch uh, online, um, just want to say real quick, thanks for listening. And we hope that you show up in the room to join us. Wouldn't you guys say it's a better experience here than it is listening to the podcast and watching the thing? So there's your, if you can hear that bleeding through the mic, we hope you come and join us. Now, if you heard that opening bumper as I was coming up, we took a line from that 90s song made at the title of our current series, which is... This is how we do it. There we go. I saw a few people busting a move. I'm like, "Uh uh-huh. Gives away your era right there. But this is our third week in the series. The past couple weeks, what we looked at is how we do it here at Hope. Uh, We talk a lot about being a family, and we emphasize that church is a family, not a production, not a business. And God uses family to grow us, to mature us. And so we're looking for ways to treat this more like a family instead of the way that it's pretty typical in our culture to treat, quote-unquote, church. Um, Things like, we've talked about how, hey, because we're a family, we pitch in and we serve like family members. And we also talked about how um, we don't treat church like consumers who are just looking for our individual needs to get met. Um, We are learning to commit to becoming a, a family, so we stick it together, we, we stick together, we work it out, we figure it out, we journey life together. Um, last week we talked a little bit, part of what we talked about is how we, we take responsibility as a family members for leaning in to make sure that we create a multi-generational family feel, which means we make sure that we're loving our kids Our teenagers, we're stopping to notice them, ask them how we can pray for them. And then younger generations, um, finding ways to honor and thank and befriend older generations. That's part of the leaning in and doing that intentionally so that that family feel develops. Because in the Hope Covenant family, this is how we do it. Nicely done. Now, today is a very different service. In fact, if this is your first Sunday... um, it's, it's, it's very different because um, we're going to talk about our Novembering service here. We're going to talk about how we are, as a family are the kind of family that keeps it real by mourning with those who mourn. In the Hope family, we keep it real by mourning with those who mourn and we stand with them. So I'm going to pray and we'll get rolling. Father, thank you uh, that you're with us, that you are Good, we thank you for this church family that you are cultivating and growing in us and amongst us and inviting um, anyone to come find and follow Jesus here in this church family. We pray you would give us eyes to see uh, and hearts to love those um, outside our walls uh, and invite them to this great family um, that you, that was your idea, God. Um, I pray this morning that as we look at some stuff that might bring up some sadness for some of us, that we would have the courage to hang in there and to lean into your heart, Jesus. I pray for freedom, for healing, restoration, in the name of Jesus. Amen? Amen. All right, hey, when I was in elementary school, we we grew up in... uh, church and our kids church we'd have these contests right like hey bring the most visitors to church children's church or or vbs or you know any of that stuff which 
you know, was always a great one, and I made sure that I was always a part of those little contests, because if you bought a, brought a friend with you, you got a, a candy bar or an ice cream sandwich or, you know, something, and, and nothing motivates sincere child evangelism like bribery, right? Right? Anybody else do contests like that in your church growing up? Anyone? Yes, a few of us, right? Um, actually, Heidi became a follower of Jesus at my wife, uh, 34, so she always kind of gets a laugh out of some of the goofy things that, you know, she missed out on, um, but it's always interesting stuff. But I remember um, when I was, we would have these scripture memory verse challenges as well, like you memorize the scripture, and if there was a contest, then, you know, for each verse that you memorized, you get one point, and for me, like, if the prize was interesting enough or big enough, I'd be all in. I'd be up for this competition. And, and there was this one time that I really, really, really want. I don't even remember what to win, but it motivated me. I wanted to win really bad. Uh, I was about third grade, probably one of those, like, four-week contests. And, you know, I was kind of used to winning every time I put my mind to it. So, you know, humble brag right there. Um, but uh, so I decided I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to win this thing. It's mine. But a couple weeks in, I realized that this new girl who's kind of quiet, but this new girl who had started coming to church and a couple weeks into the contest, I realized, man, I've got some competition with her. If I don't step up my game, she is going to beat me at this deal. And so since every verse um, was worth one point, I came up with a game plan. And I'm pretty sure that I waited till the final week to unveil my winning strategy so I didn't give her any ideas. Um, so here was my strategy. I would find the shortest verses in the Bible so I could really rack up some points. Right? Don't shame me. Don't judge me. Come on. It's third grade. Now, in case you wondered, here's a, we're going to do a little top five countdown, David Letterman style from five down. Top five shortest scripture memory verses in the Bible. Number five... Number five, despise not prophesying. That's in 1 Thessalonians 5. King James Version, obviously, right here. Okay. Number four, shortest verse in the Bible is 1 Thessalonians 5 again, right? Pray without ceasing. Here, read these with me. Pray without ceasing. All right. Number three, this is a good one. Remember Lot's wife, right? Which is really spooky if you know the story. Of Lot's wife. It's weird. It's so strange. And Jesus said that one, right? Uh, the second shortest verse in the Bible, read it together. Rejoice evermore. Coming in from 1 Thessalonians 5 again. I've got a whole bunch of, you know, shorties in that one. And before, don't put it up. Don't put it up yet. Now, who knows the, just don't say it. Just raise your hand. Who knows the shortest verse in the Bible? Oh, a whole bunch of Bible geniuses here. Okay, say it. Say it together. Jesus, Jesus wept. Yes, that is the number one shortest one. Jesus wept. Now, by the way, I did win that Bible verse, you know, memorization competition. I'm pretty sure my dubious strategy kind of led to a change in the rules the next time we did. But I did win that one, which tells you something weird about me that I don't remember what I win. I just won. I just remember that I won. That's like something odd, but that's me. All right. But um, back to the verse, right? Jesus wept. This shortest verse in the Bible um, it's so significant, not just because it's the shortest verse, but I sometimes wonder, well, what if those two words had kind of been lumped in somewhere in a longer passage? I wonder if, for me at least, it wouldn't have stood out as much. And by the way, some of you already know this, but like the chapter and verse numbers in Scripture, um, those were not in the original text. They were not divinely inspired. Um, chapter and verse numbers got added much later to help us 
uh, more easily locate passages. But I do love that this verse, even when they did that, was kept as its own two-word verse. Because I think this, Jesus wept, stands out as a reminder that Jesus wasn't like some cosmic superhero that never felt sad, never felt depressed, never cried. No, he was human. He cried real tears. He experienced real sorrow. And so he can relate to us. Jesus wept. And he gets us. And I think that's so important, particularly right now as this holiday season is approaching, because holidays can be a hard season, especially if you're someone who has lost a loved one. And maybe you wandered in here today, and you even maybe previously heard that we were going to do this Novembering thing, and maybe you didn't remember that today was a special focus. Um, but just so you know, here's what we're going to do. At the end of um, the message this morning, we are going to uh, receive communion. There's going to be two stations with people serving up on the front here. Um, and then you'll be invited to come and land, light a candle here as a way of remembering someone that you have lost. And we call this our Novembering service, which is to help us prepare ourselves for this season ahead. And so we remember, and we have an invitation to grieve. And the last few years, we've done this, you know, a couple weeks before Thanksgiving, um, because Thanksgiving kind of kicks off this holiday season. And holiday seasons can be the times where we often feel those losses more intensely, right? Maybe, maybe you lost uh, a spouse recently or, or long ago. Um, maybe you lost a parent, a child, another family member, or a close friend, um, and you feel it more intensely at this season. Uh, maybe the loss for you even that gets highlighted is because of a strained or severed relationship and because of that, it's a loss, and maybe even feels sometimes like a death, and everything can look different. And this tide of grief, grief that tide um, that comes in and goes out at the holiday season starts for many of us to rise again. And so, you know, I know what we tend to do as human beings, often what we tend to do with our grief um, some of us, like me at least, we know from experience, we know unhealthy ways to deal with pain or grief. Um, we might stuff it. It comes up, the tide comes in, we start to stuff it down, push it down. We try to ignore it. Maybe we just go isolate. We want to shove it all down. Uh, maybe we just want to instead medicate it with food, alcohol, work, or busyness. find ways to deal with our grief that aren't necessarily real good. Um, but here's the deal. Um, when you and I try to ignore or medicate our grief, the strategies, those strategies that we turn to so easily, they never lead us to this healing or wholeness that our heart desperately craves. It never gets us there. It just distracts us sometimes and oftentimes maybe even makes it worse because we just push it down, push it away. And so I want to ask what... What would Jesus invite us to do with that grief when it comes instead of those unhealthy things? And among other things, but a pretty obvious one is I believe that when we're ready, because he doesn't push it on us, when we're ready, 
He invites us to get real about it, to get honest, to take it out even, to express it. In a word, what Jesus offers us is the gift of mourning. Gift of mourning. I mean, some of us might hear that phrase even. My initial reaction and hearing the phrase is like, wait a minute, what, the gift of mourning? Come on, Doug, that sounds bizarre. (laughs) Gifts are supposed to be good things, right? And if mourning is a gift from Jesus, feel free to keep that one. I'd rather pass. And I get it because that's my initial reaction too. But then I have to wonder because of what we're going to look at that Jesus taught. I have to wonder, what did Jesus know about mourning that we don't? And what will happen when those of us who follow Jesus risk trusting that he knows what he's talking about with this stuff? Like he knows how he designed us, and he knows why the, what, he calls us, why he, what he calls us to do actually would be better for us and lead us somewhere good. We, we have to start wondering, what does happen? What would happen? What happens when we trust Jesus with every part of our pain even, our sorrow, our confusion? Because he invites us to do that. In Matthew 5, Jesus says these words. He says, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Which just on its face, it's like, <laughs> Bless, blessed? Like, I'd hardly call someone in mourning, you know, blessed. And sometimes it's often actually really helpful to look a little closer and do some study on the particular words used in Scripture, especially when we look at it and go, is that, what, is, what does that mean? And this is one of those times. This word mourning is actually translated from the Greek word penthos, and penthos means simply to mourn. And in the time of Jesus, in his Jewish culture, Penthos mourning was something that was expressed overtly, like even physically in a variety of ways. Whenever a tragedy of some kind occurred, um, people would loudly weep or, or wail, maybe shave or cover their heads. They'd often tear their clothing or wrap themselves in sackcloth rags, maybe cover themselves in ashes, And in all of that, this is an external expression of what's going on inside. And this idea behind the word mourn, penthos mourning, is that it's an external expression of an internal reality. It's an external expression. All that stuff is an external expression of the internal reality. I remember learning this from uh, my pastor, Dave Johnson, over 30 years ago, and it just changed my way of seeing not only um, life, but grief, and not only grief, but seeing how we follow Jesus uh, and don't have to fake it. We can be real. He wants us to get it out here and not hide it in there. See, mourning is an external expression of an internal reality. We get out there on the outside, what's going on in here, inside, inside our hearts. And that is what it means to mourn. We bring again to the outside, we express it externally, what's going on in our heart. We don't hide it. We don't fake it. In fact, we stop hiding and pretending we get real. We mourn, we express it. 
We, we express on the outside the honest truth of what's happening inside our hearts. But this does not come naturally, because at least for me, it's just real easy to be sad inside, but never express it outside. And then I look at this teaching of Jesus, and according to Jesus, those who are able to let the despair that they feel deep within come to the surface, those folks will experience comfort. In fact, the way he says it here, um, those people and those alone, only those people, will get the comfort. Yet sadly, too often, especially I think it seems in many church contexts, people are way better at kind of covering and hiding. We stuff our feelings. We pretend life is fine. Instead of being honest and real, um, we sometimes act like there's actually something wrong with showing our sadness or or in broadening this, there's something wrong with confessing our struggle or sin. See, this concept of mourning doesn't actually fit real good with how some of us understand this Christianity thing. And so they, we, hide it. We tend to stuff it. And by the way, when we do that, Jesus knows this too. When we do that, stuff it, we become sad, cold, cynical, judgmental, angry, and depressed. Or maybe we just go numb. Oftentimes then it leads to us being toxic. You know, pressure builds up and then we explode. We blow all our crap over everybody else that they don't, that, that they don't deserve it. All because we're just stuffing it down inside, trying to keep a lid on it. But Hope family, please hear me. Hiding, pretending, or faking isn't isn't spiritual, it's toxic. See, the truth of the matter is that followers of Jesus do get hurt, do feel loss. We do feel confusion and sadness. We do wonder, (laughs) why, God, why? Christians experience depression, disappointment, pain, discouragement, and sorrow And when we do, too often we've been taught to put on a phoniness mask in the name of godliness. Or, oh, we got to make God look good, so we got to pretend everything's fine so everybody else looks at us and thinks, wow, everything's fine with them, but it's not fine. That's toxic. See, this notion that I think just sometimes culturally carries itself through, this notion that we shouldn't express any pain or sorrow, this weird pressure that we often find to just fake it and put on a Christian mask, it actually runs counter to these words of Jesus right here that we just read, where he says, blessed are those who mourn. The one who mourns, who gets on the outside, the truth of what's going inside, that one gets the comfort. And they are blessed, which means they can eventually even find peace, healing, freedom. See, that's the blessing of mourning. So when Jesus says, blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted, we know that doesn't come naturally for many of us. And so I have to ask, it doesn't come naturally for me, so what does Jesus know that we don't? That, that mourning is a gift. It's a gift. So today, blessed are you when you trust that Jesus knows what he's talking about, that he 
knows how he designed us. He knows that we need to get it to the outside, to not stuff it inside. And we can trust him with every part of our pain, sorrow, confusion. You know, there are some uh, cultures, actually, some communities who just through maybe even their history have learned to do this mourning, this grieving thing really well. And I think that we in the West could learn a lot from those cultures. In fact, last January, I was honored to be a part of a memorial service for a young woman in her late 20s um, who died very unexpectedly. And suddenly she um, had just, she was just about to finish law school, was headed toward a very prestigious job in New York City. um, And she was the sister of, of our Hope family members, um, Brandon and Rahel Hodge. Some of you know Brandon and Rahel. Brandon actually, he's leading worship next week, and in December 1st, he's going to become our, our um, uh, worship pastor here. Um, but uh, Rahel's sister, his wife's sister, uh, her name, uh, Sarone, and everybody called her Sweet. So Sarone Sweet Berhe. And when she passed... And they invited me into this to do the, the, the funeral. Um, I got this beautiful close-up view of their Ethiopian culture. It, it's one that embraces and intentionally mourns in ways that I think really honor how God designed the human heart when it comes to mourning and grieving. And I so admire what I was able to see in their extended family and their friends. The, 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 the day the word started to spread about this tragedy, uh, we went to uh, her parents' home and, and so many of their Ethiopian friends and community just started to come from across the valley and mourn with them at their little house. Um, it was amazing. We, we, I was at their mom and dad's home and the men and women both came to grieve, but the women came, and especially um, their mourning was on display. They did not hide their wailing. And as they wailed, um, and if you weren't prepared for it, if you hadn't been prepared for it, it might be a bit jarring, but that wailing was as if to say, we are getting on the outside what's happening in our souls as a result of this tragedy. Their wailing was actually so beautiful, so healthy, so important. You know, there are considerable benefits in cultures and communities where you see someone, you see them, oh, they're in sackcloth and ashes, or in other places where you hear people wailing and crying. And the benefit is you don't wonder, you know that they are mourning. So blessed are you who can name it. You don't wonder why. And when we name that we are mourning and we get it out here, then we don't have to wonder why we feel the way we feel. See, that is another part of the gift of mourning. Being with uh, their family that week off and on as well, um, during the week of the funeral, I also noticed how this Ethiopian community, they grieved together. Together, they did it together, and we grieve on our own, but we're designed to do it also together. There's both, and too many times we kind of do most of it on our own and very little of it together. 
But the way they did it together reflects God's design and his desire for how we are to mourn, that we mourn together. In fact, in Paul's letter to the Romans, right in the middle of this run he has on what love in action looks like for a church family, Paul says this, Romans 12, 15, rejoice with those who rejoice, mourn with those who mourn. Rejoice. So, so someone gets good news, hey, let's celebrate together. We join them in their rejoicing. Yes, we do that together. And if someone's dealt a difficult blow, we join them in their grief and we mourn with them. And so in a community, a healthy church family, there's always both going on, right? We rejoice and we mourn. And sometimes we do both on the same day, even at the same time. And it's important to know what time it is. Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verses 1 through 4, reminds us about the time it is. Verse 1, there is a time for everything. In fact, let's read this aloud together. There is a time for everything and a season for every activity under the heavens. A time to be born and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to uproot a time to kill and a time to heal. Next slide. A time to kill and a time to heal. A time to tear down and a time to build. A time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. See, there's a time for everything. There's good times, right? There's time to be born, to plant, to build, to laugh, to dance. Yes, those are the good days. We love those times, but there's also a time to die, to weep, to mourn. And those days, which if grief is near for you, are these days, and they are hard days, days that last often many days, stretching into weeks, months, even years important to know what time it is. And for some of us, today's Novembering service is the time to mourn. And since we mourn with those who mourn, we do it together. So the rest of us, even if we don't have a specific thing we are mourning, we join you and mourn with those who mourn. Now, I mean, even reading that passage from um, Ecclesiastes um, I'm glad it reminds us there's also a time to heal, right? But that time for some of us might not be today. It's still for some of us a time to mourn. And just because we're doing a Novembering service, I can't proclaim like, hey, any of us are going to be fully healed today. But here's what we can do. We can start and take that next step because a part of healing is mourning and remembering. So whether it's recently that you lost someone or even long ago, this holiday season and other significant calendar dates, it's often when the pain starts to surface again. And before we move towards communion and our candle lighting ceremony, before we even get closer to that, I just want to stop for a moment, just wonder and ask you to wonder with me, what is it that you might need to 
remember this morning? What loss have you grieved or do you still need to grieve or what loss are you still grieving? Because some of us have losses that are years old, maybe even decades old. Maybe, maybe you have faced and grieved and mourned those losses, but maybe you never have truly mourned that loss even years later. Or maybe you have mourned it and mourned it well, but even years later, there's still an ache. You still feel that loss deeply. That's okay. That's okay. Maybe your loss is even more recent. Maybe this is the first or even one of the first Thanksgivings or Christmases or holiday seasons without that someone, that loved one. And you can hardly imagine what it's going to be like without them. And so today is a moment, an invitation to bring your grief before Jesus, to be willing to take that step and ask Jesus to meet you in your loss. You know, for, for some of us, maybe yours is a loss that has gone unnoticed by a lot of the people around you, maybe a pregnancy loss, which is so common to carry that kind of grief in ways that even some of your closest people don't necessarily know about, or if they do, they don't know what to say. And this is a moment for you, for you as well, an invitation to be willing to take this step to ask Jesus to meet you in your loss and mourning, to get on the outside what's inside, to, to mourn and trust Jesus even in your tears to bring you some measure of comfort. You know, sometimes when we're in loss, we wonder, can Jesus even relate? Um, and I'm just going to read a few phrases from a few verses, first from Hebrews um, skip ahead to the next slide. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15 says, We do not have a high priest who's unable to empathize with our weaknesses, right? Our suffering or sorrow, like he gets us. Jesus is our high priest and he gets it. He is with us in it. See, Jesus wasn't a savior unacquainted with suffering. Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah says, says the Messiah was a man who suffered who knew pain firsthand. In the next verse, it says that it is by his wounds that we are healed. See, that's our Jesus who willingly went to the cross, offered his body and his blood for our healing and wholeness. Jesus is the ultimate wounded healer. He's full of compassion and he suffers with us. In fact, it's out of his compassion that he draws near to us in our grief. And he invites us to mourn, to get out here what's going on in there. So blessed are you when you trust him with that, when you are willing to mourn. Because only those who do have the hope of fully experiencing the comfort that Jesus offers us. And so this morning... What I want to do is I want to connect our communion time with this lighting of a candle to mourn and remember those that we've lost. And um, so I'm going to explain those things. But before we move to that, I also um, believe that God has something he wants to speak to some of us before we get there. So we'll touch on that in a moment. But I just want to quickly give you instructions um, on how we do communion here at Hope. 
Um, at some churches, you have to be a member or have gone through a class, um, and that's every church's prerogative. But here at Hope, we, we, we practice what we call open communion. Open communion means simply if you're a follower of Jesus, then you are welcome at the communion table with us. And if you're not yet a follower of Jesus, if you haven't said yes to Jesus, maybe you're on that journey and you haven't necessarily decided, um, but maybe today you're ready to make a decision to follow Jesus for the first time even. And some folks make that decision and then come and receive communion and that in their mind and memory is the place where they crossed the line and began following Jesus. And so if that's you and you're ready to say yes to Jesus and follow Jesus this morning, you are, you are welcome at the table as well. Um, and again, logistically, there's a station right up here in the front and over here in the front, and there'll be two people there to serve you the elements. And sometimes we all go back to our seat and take them together, but this time, when you receive your elements, you can take them back to your seat or stand somewhere in the room um, and, and just take them when you are ready on your own. Also, those of you that would like to light a candle as a way of remembering a loved one that you have lost, um, just come on up to the middle here. Heidi and I will be here to help you, and you can do that whenever. You can do it before you receive communion or after uh, or just any time. Um, so just come, and we'll be here to, to do that with you. Now, I want to remind us real briefly case there are folks here that have not been around communion, just real briefly, I'm going to remind us of what communion is. In this communion time, we remember the sacrifice of Jesus when he went and gave his life on the cross. See, the bread and the cup, they remind us of this real presence of the body and the blood of Jesus. They remind us that he's here right now among us to offer freedom and healing. 1 Corinthians 11 tells us the Lord Jesus on the night he was betrayed took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it. He said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. And in just a few minutes, We'll come to the tables and do just that in remembrance of Jesus and partake in the real presence of Jesus. But first, um, before we went there, I just, I just want to ask a question, and then I think God has something he wanted to speak to us, and I just want to share that, and you see if it's for you or not. But um, if you've lost a loved one especially, um, maybe you find yourself in one phase of grief or Another, And so I just want to invite you right now to just pause um, as we are in this presence of Jesus. Because I do think that, that Jesus wants to minister to us uh, even before we come to the table. So just right now, you can even close your eyes. Just, just think of the name or the names of those whose absence you feel. Just think right now, the name or the names of those who you are missing, who you've lost. And now with um, their name or their names in your, your mind, I just, I want to invite you. Picture Jesus standing next to them with his arm around them. 
Just use your God-given imagination. Ask Holy Spirit to give you, give you a glimpse. So you picture Jesus right next to your loved one. And if you can, just even imagine what it's like just to look into the face of Jesus right now. What, what if you could see his eyes? Just imagine, what do you imagine his eyes would express to you as you fix your eyes on him? And just in a moment here, just imagine even in this scene um, what his heart is towards you in your grief, your loss, your sadness? What's, what's his heart towards you? As the worship team comes and the communion servers take their place, I just want to read something to you that I sense God wanted to speak to some of us. So if this is for you, great, and if not, that's okay. But I think it's especially for some of us who are carrying grief today, even as we experience the presence of Jesus here with us. And here it is. I sense this. Since I'm saying, the tears you've cried in private and the prayers and grief you poured out, even when everything inside you felt like it was dying, those are precious to Jesus. Even when you pray confused or angry prayers, he receives those as gifts that honor him. They are prayers that demonstrate your deepest trust in his ability to handle every part of your heart with care and with love. He cherishes and loves you and Jesus mourns with you. Though the enemy tries to use heartache to break you and to keep you from connecting with God, Jesus wants to restore and redeem every single thing the enemy and this fallen world has stolen from you. As you risk trusting Jesus in your grief, he longs not only to heal your wounded heart, but as he restores you, he wants to give you a portion of his own heart. And as you begin or continue to invite Jesus into your greatest pain, you'll take a step that can lead you to experience a comfort unlike anything you've ever known. He wants your freedom your healing, your restoration to begin. Most of all, he wants you to know that you are loved and not alone. You are loved and not alone. Friends, I just believe that is Jesus' heart. You. He knows your grief. 
He knows your pain. He knows your sorrow. He's not uncomfortable with your questions or your tears or your confusion or your hurt or your rage or your anger. He's with you in your pain, in your loss. So again, with that, have the courage to look at the question again that we asked. What loss have you grieved? Or do you still need to grieve? Or are you still grieving? Whatever that loss is, will you bring that with you in the real presence, into the real presence of Jesus at the communion table this morning? And again, there's no magic wand. Hey, take communion, it'll be okay. No, that's not there. But as you come to the communion table and then come to light a candle, maybe see these as steps, steps or your next step in the process of honoring and grieving and mourning your loss. And be reminded that Jesus is with you in the journey of your loss and your grief. You stand together. Thank you, Jesus, for your love that never fails. And as we grieve and mourn now, we also lean into your love. Amen. When you're ready, come and receive communion, and then you can move to this middle table to light a candle in memory of your loved one.